happy baby. So as any longtime Penn State fan knows, the mantra has always been the same for this program. Black shoes, basic blues, no names, all game. That is until Saturday. We have our Generations of Greatness game coming up where Penn State will debut white shoes, tricked out blues, still no names, and potentially all game beginning at 3.30 against Indiana. Fourth home game of the season for Penn State. I am super excited for these uniforms. We'll get the hot take out first. These are better than their black shoes, basic blues, no names, all games. You can send any complaints to at a Callahan underscore 247 because these new uniforms are fantastic. But before we get into more of those, I am curious, what are you doing to prepare for your Generations of Greatness game on Saturday? Well, as the older of the two, I am um, getting prepared to watch Saquon Barkley in white shoes. I can't wait to see how fast he looks in those things. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people are excited about in terms of on that roster. So um, in terms of the, the uniforms, I like them a lot. Uh, I think it's something cool that they can break out. And I think from from my standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint, it's it's big for these kids to see that Penn State is, is moving forward as a program, uh, sort of still have that, uh, that antique reputation uh, with a lot of kids. So right. the, the ability and, and the uh, – I guess the uh, the impotence to do something else and, and just change a little bit, I think, is a big deal. And, and it could, and they're not going to be Oregon anytime soon or Maryland anytime soon. But because that's to, not who they are, they don't no, want to do no, that. No, and you don't have to do that. But to show a little bit of uh, of moving forward uh, in this aspect, I think it's cool. Okay, well, here's what I'm doing to prepare for generations of greatness. Because that was essentially, I'm not doing anything that different. Was a answer. Loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I contemplating suspenders. How about a fedora? Try out the old typewriter there, and uh, we'll call in the store. You can type up everything for me back at the office, a.k.a. You know, your own home, uh, once everything is done. How does that sound? As long as you have press in your little fedora, that's all that matters. Yes, and then all, all questions afterward will be uh, with respect to fullbacks and going under center, and then uh, you might never see me again because I'll go a little crazy. Because that actually happened yesterday on our conference call with Joe Moorhead, who we only get to talk to for a half hour during the season, and his time was wasted with that. But the anyway. Full, the fullback question keeps coming up in the under center, and I get it because Penn State hasn't been very efficient in the red zone, especially last week. But they've at been Iowa. so clear. They've been so about this for a year and a half. They don't practice under center snaps. You're putting yourself in a position where you're going to turn the ball over if you do something. It's like it's like asking Tyler Davis to drop kick or something like that. Yeah. They, you just don't do it in practice. You're not going to do it in a game. Or as Joe said, asking a wishbone team to go four wide. You know, again, we're just wasting oxygen here. But it was something that came up, and um, you know, if we're going to really throw it all back on Saturday, that would certainly be included. But anyway, same rundown for the Friday podcast. We got tweet of the week. We've got quote of the week. Recruiting news, a lot of that on the way. Talk about when Penn State has the ball, when Indiana has the ball. The Hoosiers are about a 17 to 18 point favorite, uh, or underdog, excuse me, 18 point underdog coming in to Saturday's 3.30 kick. We got our 3-2-1, three matchups, two concepts, one prediction. And then mailbag, another good week of mailbag questions. I think, again, this is a credit to the new Twitter handle for just this podcast alone that you created. And of course, the good folks on our message boards, which of course you can always find uh, at lines247.com. There is always questions to go around and never enough time so thanks for keeping coming we'll get to we'll get to you eventually we're not we're not uh, stiffing anyone here no no plenty of season left to go i'm sure we'll be able to squeeze everybody in uh at least once all right tweet of the week arrived quite early this week and this was again sent to uh one of our loyal listeners and you nailed it because this held up you know for the next five days nothing topped this uh friend of the show brandon bell um he had to apologize said i hereby apologize for the 2016 season i had no idea how this felt from a fan perspective 
and they just did a couple emojis and went, ah, but, uh, no, it was great. Uh, I, I laughed hysterically because Brandon, very low key kid. And, and that's the thing. And I talked to a lot of players who have come through, um, you know, you, you still have this connection to the program, but you don't realize what it's like to, to sort of live and die with every play and you can't do anything about it. And he did that, of course, right after the Iowa game when right. everyone's on the edge of their seat, regardless of what fan you are, whatever team or media or anything. Cause it was just so insane. We put a bow on all that Monday's episode in case you missed it. But yeah, here he goes. I apologize for being, you know, myself and so even killed. This is insane. This is how it feels from a, a fan perspective. Yeah. And you should have given him a phone last year. He missed a couple of games. So it would have been nice to see him tweet during the games how, how he yeah. thought about watching that team. But now, uh, Brandon Bell, a uh, low key funny guy. You'd never know it by watching his interviews or anything like that. But yeah, that, that was a good one. That was great. Another funny moment. This quote of the week came on Tuesday. James Franklin addresses at the end of his press conference following the Iowa win. And it was kind of strange in, in this initially again on Saturday night because he said, I want to get something straight. You know, you've got this big win. Everyone's so excited. He gets very serious for a moment at the very end of the press conference and says, that was not me on SportsCenter. And what he was actually referring to then was Keegan-Michael Key did his outstanding James impersonation. It wasn't on SportsCenter, but it was college game day. And apparently those close to James were fooled by the impersonation, which was held in Times Square. Mind you, Franklin had been in Iowa for at least 24 hours at that point, one of whom <laughs> reached out uh, was the mother of Brent Pry, the defensive coordinator. So the quote, as Franklin told us this story later on Tuesday, went, quote, I'll tell you a funny story, not to go backwards here, but Brent told me his mom thought Keegan was me, you know, and I've known her for 35 years. That's great. Uh, the funny one about that was the Iowa message board posters who actually thought it was James Franklin. So, oh, my God. Uh, they don't get out much and see see that kind of stuff uh, out in Iowa. But, man, that was they, they wanted it bulletin. They want to put it up on the bulletin board in the in the uh, in the field house or whatnot. But <laughs> that's funny. I I love his impression. It's great. When he came in for the homecoming game last year and did that in front of the team, they, they went crazy. It was great. Um, he's a funny, funny dude, man. And uh, for Franklin to sort of go with it because it you know it wasn't exactly the most endearing way to approach things based on on what they were talking about. Right. Which if but, you if you missed it, you should absolutely find the clip. It was Franklin kicking the field or calling a timeout before Georgia State called the uh, field goal unit on for the last second perceived as icing and you know Keegan Michael Key explained as listen I got a little bit caught up in there we want to make sure everyone got a snap you know we had a couple of clarinet players in from the band a security guard a manager and you know went to the extent where you'd think you'd get it was a joke but uh, obviously you some people missed think, man yeah. <laughs> he, he really does nail it though because it also helps that you know Keegan looks like James looks just like him <laughs> yeah it's great it's great but moving on uh, big week for this this week uh, we're going to start with recruiting uh, a solid week you look down the road at Virginia Tech they've got Clemson coming to town that is the biggest recruiting weekend in the the region on the east coast or whatnot a ton of kids going to blacksburg including a ton of penn state targets but penn state with a pretty decent turnout this weekend uh, or expected turnout this weekend centered around the 2019 guys of course you know it with 2018 with with the space or lack of that they have they're not going to have these guys on campus every weekend so you look at the 2019 guys several guys with offers coming in uh lewis sign i think is the the highest rated guy at least we have him on 24 7 sports inside mm-hmm. the top 50 a safety from Massachusetts, you put on the tape and, and you almost think kind of Marcus Allen type. He, he brings the wood. Uh, granted, his competition, not the greatest in New England. I, nope. My apologies. No, it's but, true. Uh, he brings the wood. He's an excellent athlete as well and, and a guy that Penn State's really after hard. Uh, he's got offers from pretty much everywhere. Uh, I think probably the most intriguing visitor in terms of unexpected, uh, Will Putnam, uh, offensive lineman. He's from Illinois, transferred to Tampa Plant, um, 
uh, Tampa Plant High School uh, in Florida before his junior season, which is also the home of Judge Culpepper, who's a Penn State commit, defensive line commit. Right. Um, so he's he's coming up. Uh, Culpepper's been in his ear. Putnam actually visited Penn State back in March when he was still lived in Illinois. Uh, enjoyed that. So he, him coming back is good. Culpepper told me he's been on him. Uh, he's been receptive to Penn State, and you know Penn State's trying to to sort of wedge itself in there at uh, some of these better programs in the Tampa area. I think it's a good spot because there's a lot of talent in that area and you know there's not enough schools down there to take them all uh moving on keelan uh robinson running back from from uh, st john's college in, in washington dc another tremendous high school this kid uh, came up to camp this summer with actually the entire st john's college uh team was actually penn state uh established another camp so that they could come in. It wasn't a team camp, but they, they established another camp so these guys could come in and Penn State offered that day, ran in the four threes and Penn State's really going for speed in the twenty nineteen class in the in the running back position. You got Keelan Robinson, you got Jordan Houston who I think ran for two eighty last week uh, in his high school game. So um Penn State trying to reload at running back, which is a spot where they've recruited as probably as well as anybody in the country, save maybe Georgia or something like that. So uh, Keelan Robinson, uh, a big target in 2019 class. And, and I'm going to close with Caden Wallace, uh, offensive lineman, who's a guy that we've talked about on the podcast several times, yep. uh, not because he's been up, I think, four times since February, which is a big deal for a 2019 class, but but because his, his crystal ball is all Penn State, and he's been up several times. And he's a former t- uh, teammate of Fred Hansard who's been working on him. So there's just all these things in Penn State's corner when you talk about Caden Wallace, who's a top uh, 247 kid, uh, high four-star prospect, and and a, a big target for the staff as a guard, potentially a tackle, but I, I see him as a guard in the long run. He's a big boy. So mm-hmm. uh, I think getting him back on campus is a big deal. So um, will there be a commitment? Uh, that's hard to say. These guys are so early in their process, but he's as familiar with Penn State as pretty much any offensive lineman that they're recruiting right now. So it, w- it really wouldn't surprise me. A couple other local kids I'm going to bring up just because for folks who didn't know where I came from uh, before landing at 24-7. I, I covered primarily high schools in the Lancaster and Lebanon, Pennsylvania area, which is, you know, more central PA kind of in and around uh, Harrisburg, a little bit further, um, you know, to the east. But there are two from that league, which is not high on D1 talent, that they're going to actually also be visiting this weekend. Yeah. Uh, Hayden Rucci, which should be a, a fam- fairly familiar name for Penn State fans. His dad, Todd, was, uh, you know, offensive lineman, second round pick of the Patriots, I think in 93. Um, he's a tight end. He doesn't have an offer yet. Um, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Given the way that Penn State has recruited tight end, they didn't take one in 2017. They've got Zach Koontz and Pat Fryermuth in 2018. Um, so I'm not sure which direction that 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 is going to go in 2019, which is going to be a smaller class. And they've shown when they're crunch for numbers, tight end is a spot that they'll probably you know cross off the list first. So whether or not he gets an offer, it's hard to say. I was actually talking with him this week. His little brother, who's a freshman in high school, is six six already. Uh, and, and Hayden says it's the funniest thing in the world because he's playing on the freshman team at Warwick um, so I just it, it, it's pretty funny to see uh, or I can imagine it would be pretty funny to see a 6'6 kid just I can only just imagine the freshman hoops team with that kid as well I mean like that that's where his impact yeah. is really going to be and Todd's a big guy obviously played with the Patriots for six years so Todd's a big guy so the genes are there uh, Conestoga Valley wide receiver Jose Barbon or Barbon I'm not sure uh, if I'm pronouncing that right he's got 10 touchdowns in four games all of them receiving which is just ridiculous and I know Conestoga Valley you know, plays in a, in a fairly good league down in the Lancaster, uh, Lebanon area, but, uh, 
10 touchdowns in four games. That's something. The kid can fly. He came to camp uh, this summer, ran sub 4-4. He's got about seven uh, seven or eight offers right now, all in the FCS lower guys. So, mm-hmm. you know, if Penn State can maybe pick him up as a walk-on, that would be great. I don't, I don't see any room for another receiver in the 2018 class, which is interesting because Solomon Enos was supposed to come in this weekend for an official visit. He's he's going to delay that until after the season. I don't even know if there'll be space then. But, yeah, for for, for him to put up those kind of that kind of numbers uh, in, in four games this season, it just leaves you shaking your head because that kid, that kid can play. Yeah, he can fly. Shout out to my LL roots there. <laughs> Moving on, Saturday, there will be football. Penn State uh, started out with the ball at Iowa. You presume if they have the opportunity to do so against Indiana, they'll do so again. And last time they played the Hoosiers, you know, the final score read big Penn State win, 49-35 to in Bloomington. That was aided by a late defensive score. Um, but you have to take into context, Sha- Saquon Barkley was shut down more so in that game uh, on a per-snap basis more than any game of his entire career. 1.8 yards per rush, which is even more impressive when you consider he had 33 handoffs in that game. So so primarily when you look back at the game, the thing that jumped out to me was how much Indiana pressured Penn State. I mean, their deal was the opposite of Iowa. They said, listen, we're going to take Barkley out of the game. They blitzed 39 out of 75 offensive snaps that Penn State had. A lot of man coverage on the outside. They didn't even really roll an extra safety down in there. They just did an excellent job of clogging the middle, a slanting line. They had a nose guard who since graduated played very well. And I'd have to figure that will be the same game plan here given how much success they had with it. But that pressure is a hallmark of Tom Allen's defense. How much they commit again, though, to that single coverage on the outside is is a point of emphasis for me because, again, that's what burned them and allowed Penn State to escape Bloomington with a win. Yeah, Godwin had a couple of big catches in that game, but somebody's got to step up. Juwan Johnson started to do that last week, so I think he can be a real difference maker this week. But, yeah, Indiana played Barkley as well as anybody's played him in the last two years. So, uh, you know, will he be held in check? I think you said 1.8 yards per carry last year. I, I don't see a repeat of that, but at the same time, I mean, you're going to have to use him as a receiver. You're going to have to use him as a multi-purpose guy. Big Ten's leading receiver, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so I, I see Penn State maybe getting a little bit more creative with him, but you got to ride Barkley all the way. I think you do, and I think they will. Joe Moorhead telling us yesterday he thinks you know they'll have better success running the ball. It honestly be hard to have worse success uh, than they did a year ago. But again, Tom Allen focused, you know, spoke on Tuesday saying we've got to take care of what they do best. Undoubtedly, that's giving number twenty six the ball. We all saw what he did at Iowa. You know, just showing the entire country what he's capable of. It'll be a very different game because Indiana is going to approach this differently, and I think they're much better suited in the secondary. But they're pretty much a four two five defense, meaning you got four defensive linemen, two linebackers. Five defensive backs, one of whom is really that safety kind of hybrid with linebacker position. They call it their husky position, Marcelino Ball. An injury question mark for them, um, but less so than Richard Fant, who again was you know considered questionable this week. But he's an all Big Ten corner, first team on the outside that I think will have a really interesting matchup with Juwan Johnson, who of course is looking to have a second big game in a row. Yeah, I, I, I see some talent in this Indiana secondary. You mentioned Marcelino Ball. If he plays, which is still a question mark, just based on you know the, the people that we. We've talked to if he plays, he can make a he can make a big difference. But at the same time, I don't know that there's anybody that can step up and replace him. So that could be a big deal. And I look at that matchup against the four two five, and I think a guy like Deshaun Hamilton could have a big day. Uh, you can you can create mismatches with guys like Barkley and Jasicki, but you're going to leave Deshaun Hamilton unaccounted for. So I can see him having a big impact on the game as well. So uh, Indiana 
banged up. They've got a lot of guys that are sort of on that injury report, which I'm not sure if you, you know what an injury report is because we haven't seen one for the last uh, three, four years. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I think they're they're coming to the game a little bit wounded and, and a little bit, um, you know, probably off their game. They've only played three games so far. They had to miss the game against Florida uh, International. International. <laughs> Sorry. No, there are a lot of schools down there. You could have gone to Atlantic, but schools. I think Lane Kiffin probably would have stuck in your memory a little yeah. bit better than FIU. Lane Kiffin's in everybody's memory. But that's a good point you bring up. Having only played three games, and I asked James about this on Wednesday, does that affect your preparation at all? Because he's mentioned before, you know, we take into consideration the fact that when, before we play an opponent, what is their preparation likely to be? If they've had a bye week, you know, that tends to allow them to be more creative with their defensive plan. They didn't have a bye week last week, but they played Georgia Southern. And before then, as you mentioned, their game against FIU was canceled. So he didn't believe that would allow them um, to be more creative necessarily and didn't affect Penn State's preparation a whole lot. They're going to look at last year's bowl game. And I think defensively, even though they're still hurt, this is a unit that brought back nine starters from a year ago. And we haven't even gotten to their best player overall. That's T. Gray Scales, linebacker who can go sideline to sideline, does great work inside the box, super instinctive. He's an All-American in the preseason. And he really just gets it done on so many different levels. So even if ball is out, you know, they're going to have better success through the year. But, you know, up front, that guy is someone you've got to find in every single snap or he could be in your backfield, you know, ruining plays right at the start. We saw Josie Jewell last week and, and T. Gray Scales is, is on that level. I mean, those those are two of the best, if not the two best linebackers in the conference. So, yeah, Penn State's going to have to account for him on every play. Um, you know, I, I look at the offensive line and see if they can get to the next level, get to Scales. If ball's in there, get to ball. Because this is a team that if, if you break through that first wall, because they're going to throw seven, eight guys at Saquon Barkley. If you break, break through that first wall you've got an opportunity to make some big plays so i think the big plays are the difference from penn state's side so um yeah so i think we'll see that on saturday Big plays are not exclusive to Penn State, Indiana, looking to make the same thing happen offensively. But they look to do it through a different way, tempo. You know, both teams rely a lot, 11 personnel, three wideouts, one tight end, one running back. But Indiana a year ago turned out plays every 19 seconds against Penn State, which was the fastest rate the Lions saw all season. They're back at it again in their opener against Ohio State, 57 plays before halftime. Now, that's aided by a defense that was able to stop the Buckeyes. They're at 14 to 13, eventually lost that game 49 to 21. But it's still an offense where the biggest problem they pose right now, they've got good players, but really it's just time. And they've tried to simulate that in practice this week with two separate offensive scout teams. Congratulations. You made it 17 minutes into the podcast before mentioning tempo. And that's something you can't say for, I think, every single conference call interview or anything this week. It's, it's been, been, a, it's it's been, been the theme about, of the week. It's been all about tempo. And that, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you're running guys from one huddle to the next when you talked about those two scout teams. And yeah, you, you, you got to keep it up. Your conditioning is good. And it's a good thing. I mean, it's not. It was hot all week at Penn State or in State College, so it's a good thing. It's a little bit cooler, so that should help them. Um, you, you've played a lot of guys, and we talked about this after practice on Wednesday night. You play. You've played a lot of guys, so the experience is there. If you need to sub some defensive linemen, you can get them in and out. So I think that you know, preparing against the Georgia States, the Akron Pitt, whatever, um, getting a lot of those guys snaps, I think is going to pay off uh, in a game like this. The other part about Indiana, you know, it's more of a passing attack. Uh, Richard Lego is, is a guy who's got the all the arm talent you could ever want in the world, sometimes inconsistent with the decision-making, accuracy, but he's not the only quarterback that they have out there. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how Penn State changes up you know, defensively. I think you keep it simple regardless because you have to play fast. You have to get the calls in and rely on that communication, which does not allow for a whole lot you know, between snaps. But with the two different quarterbacks, regardless – 
of who's dropping back, Simi Cobbs is going to be the target. He, he's a big body, was not in the game a year ago, had a torn ACL, described as more of a possession receiver, about 6'4", 220. And, and for him, if he's limited in this game, I have a hard time seeing Indiana come away with because he's a big part of their passing game, which is really their entire offense given their struggles on the ground. Yeah, and Nick Westbrook uh, also had a good game against Ohio State. If you watch that Ohio State game, which I, I'm pretty sure you did as well, they just they gave Ohio State's corners trouble. I mean, they were they were – Thank you. They were um, physical. No, come with on. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I don't like to go there, but they were physical with them. They went up. Um, you know, they, they weren't afraid to throw the jump ball. You mentioned Lego, superior arm talent. I mean, this is a guy that can throw a football anywhere on the field. Uh, we've seen a few of them come through at, at Penn State, but decision making has been an issue. Taking care of the football, fumbles have been an issue. Picks have been an issue. So, Penn State will have opportunities to get their hands on the football, and I think that can be the difference defensively. Um, but yeah, these receivers are good or Westbrook I think is out or, or at least on that questionable line yeah he's out for the year he's out for the year okay well uh yeah then I'm thinking of somebody else but Westbrook was was very good against Ohio State as well so Simi Cobbs is going to be the guy that everybody focuses on so um you know it's it's just going to be a matchup I think you you see Campbell on him a bunch of course Simi Cobbs 6'4 Campbell 6'1 should be a good matchup and then the support from from Marcus Allen from Troy Apke um and, and I think it's going to be there because that's the guy you got to focus on the other name I'll leave you with here when Indiana has the ball tight end Ian Thomas he's about six foot five I think could provide a real matchup problem just in the intermediate areas you know you're gonna see Cole Farmer out there if they go more base personnel you know on early downs they'll go sub but he's gonna be bigger if Lamont Wade's playing that um, slot position is they split him out Ian Thomas is their third leading receiver I think you know just like a lot of tight ends he's kind of that safety valve that you'd like to go to and again just simply because of his size and athleticism combo he could be an issue not necessarily a game breaker or a game wrecker but a name that I think you'll hear a couple of times on third down if Lego gets into trouble and just able to throw it up because there aren't a whole lot of Penn State defenders that are going to be able to reach up there and, and contend with him. Right. He can be a frustrating guy to play against because he can move the chains. He's not. I don't think he's going to break a big one or anything like that, but he's, he can move the chains. Uh, and I want to circle back around to the quarterbacks. Uh, Lego is obviously uh, less of a runner. Uh, Peyton Ramsey, who's the backup, more of an athlete, uh, runner type guy. He can throw the ball okay. Um, probably a little bit better than, than Xander DeMont, who was the, the, the – uh, previous running quarterback at Indiana. He's got a little free time on his hands now since he left the program and spent on uh, getting in Twitter fights with Dan Dockage, which we'll leave you to find on your own. But yeah. I found that last night and uh, Boy, that's... <laughs> wasted a considerable amount of time. Well, yeah, he's got a point. But anyway, um, yeah, he's a guy that you got to account for. Um, you mentioned Farmer a little bit earlier. Uh, I think Penn State can go base against this team, so a little bit less nickel. Um, even though they are a spread team that will try to spread you out, Farmer, I think, can contain some of these guys. So, um, you know, I think Penn State's defense will be all right. And like we mentioned, the turnovers could be a big deal. They were last year in Bloomington. They were. All right, on to the 3-2-1. Three, three matchups, two concepts, one prediction preview. And, you know, let's mix it up because, you know, we're now heading into game five this season. Just like for the team, they said they got a little bit more juice from these new uniforms. Uh, Monotony can set in. Let's go one, two, three. What's your bold prediction this week? I think Penn State, six sacks this week. Woo! Yeah, that's a lot, um, no doubt. I think Sharif Miller, probably two and a half of those. Um, you look at what Indiana did against Ohio State and Virginia. Of course, they got down against Ohio State in the second half, but five sacks against Ohio State, four sacks against Virginia, and the crazy number, zero against Georgia Southern. So 
I'm not sure what went on in that Georgia Southern game. I'm not not going to put that tape in, but I think Penn State can get to the quarterback. We mentioned Lego, uh, kind of a statue back there. So uh, you can get there, and they can bring pressure from the second level as well. I think we see a little bit more uh, from those outside linebackers. All right. My prediction, four combined interceptions. I think you're going to see at least one from McSorley and, of course, Lego. Uh, but at some point along the line, we're going to have just balls flying in the hands of defenders, and I think you're going to see it add up, whether it's Indiana trying to make a comeback late, McSorley, as we saw, against Iowa getting him from behind and seeing an effective throw but I mean they've got real playmakers at the second and third levels whether it's ball whether it's fan whether it's scales and for Penn State you know this defense is the fastest by far that we've seen in the Franklin era and that's contributed so much to their playmaking and particularly in the secondary where they're getting hands on a lot of different balls this game just seems ripe for a lot of interceptions going both ways so before it's all said and done I'm gonna go four combined interceptions uh on to two concepts again I mentioned this earlier a lot of what Indiana did a year ago that gave Penn State problems which was not unique you know to their defense or what Penn State saw a year ago was just so much slanting up front you know Penn State's base run is an inside zone run so you're not accounting so much for a man as you are space and they need a double team up front but that becomes problematic when you've got defensive linemen or linebackers knifing into the backfield which disrupts that flow that steady line that moving wall essentially that you have and the way Indiana did that, of course, again, was by sending different linemen in different gaps than you might expect. So, you know, if they're able to handle this too, if they're able to secure a double team up front and just get Barkley to the line, they shouldn't have any issues. But when I spoke with Tom Allen at Big Ten Media Days, he said, you know, the number one thing to do when you're trying to stop a back like Barkley is to get to him before he gets going. And again, that's how you get into the backfield, mixing up things uh, with your line. So look for a lot of slanting from Indiana up front. Second concept I'll leave you with, I'm curious about how Penn State approaches Cobbs because I mentioned, you know, he's a big target that wouldn't necessarily be the case if Westbrook was available but since Cobbs is the big one on the outside I think they could start to use some more bracket coverage looks which you'll see two basic types of brackets meaning you'll have two defenders devoted to covering one target and it'll either be an inside out or they'll take you know inside routes the other guy will have the outside routes or a high low so if it's a high low you might see this in what Penn State occasionally uses as two-man coverage to think of everyone underneath has a man-to-man defender and then the two safeties are back kind of splitting the deep part of the field. Now, if Cobbs is on one side, the deep defender on his side might be able to play that kind of high-low bracket where his man-to-man defender is going to be super aggressive at the line and not so much mind if Cobbs gets behind him because he can play from behind knowing that he has help over the top. So I'd be very curious to see whether they simply rely on Haley and Campbell, who they have a lot of faith in and, and deservedly so. But if Cobbs starts to get rolling, do they devote you know an extra safety there and start to play some of these brackets? Because what helped them get out of Bloomington a year ago was kind of a twist in that two-man idea that that eventually they locked down, closed down on those routes, the space that they had in man-to-man coverage. Lego couldn't make the throws late and then eventually had the strip sack and Torrance Brown rumbled in and they had the 49-35 to win. Yeah, I think a lot of that's going to depend on the pressure and and as I've said, I think Penn State can get to the quarterback. Uh, Miller played phenomenally last week. Um, You get a little bit more off the edge. I don't know if we'll see Kevin Givens out there as as Indiana's not the power running team that that Iowa was. No, but he'll be inside for sure. He'll be inside. I, I think they can just generate pressure with that front four maybe use the front seven as well and i think that that will have an impact on the coverage back there three matchups uh, you know one we haven't touched upon this at all but it was really a problem at iowa the field goal unit i, I want to see if they're able just to put things together from a blocking perspective from a hold perspective and then tyler davis just knocking it through you know they missed two against iowa davis has had you know misses before then and it's really been a rough start now they feel confident and they can fix things up james went on a great detail uh, which we're not going to do here in the podcast because we like to keep our listeners awake but you know special teams you know we've seen how it can affect games so positively for penn state and 
And a week ago, it was super negatively. So how will Indiana approach that? Will they be more aggressive perhaps? Um, But Penn State, are they going to be able to just simply execute the fundamentals of that field goal unit? That's a good question because you saw at the block last week. I mean, I looked at it right away, and Alex Gellerstead did not get to his gap, and they came straight through. And which, if you're playing with with the size that Penn State is playing up front on their field goal block, there's no no excuse for that. There's no reason it should happen. So, and, and I believe uh, James even said it this week: bringing back someone like Chaz Wright into the fold that can take up a lot of space and, and do a lot of things for you. So they got to get it done. Uh, the snapping has been okay, not perfect, but it's been fine. They they just haven't put together. A, a clean showing this this season so far. Second uh, matchup that we'll break down here. I kind of dismissed Indiana's running game, and I, I think that's more so because of what they've been unable to do against top tier competition in Ohio State in particular. And then yeah, Virginia was a little bit better. Virginia is not bad. They went out and beat Boise State, which is a good win. But, they're, uh, they're definitely better. But the thing for me is, you know, what allowed Indiana also to have success. They had a lot of big plays downfield. I think it was at least nine plays through the air. They went for at least uh, fourteen yards. Was that they were able to run the ball too? So they were not one dimensional a year ago, and I think they will be this time around. But Penn State's defensive tackles have been really good against Iowa, really good against Akron, middling performances against Georgia State and Pitt. If they're able to control the line of scrimmage, particularly in the inside, because again, Indiana's more of an inside zone team too, then I think they'll have real success because again, Indiana will force to be one-dimensional. But if they struggle a little bit and Indiana's you know, able to run play after play after play and really run them down, then this game becomes an issue because they'll be able to stay balanced and really post threats across the field just as they did a year ago. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Penn State has re- rotated a lot of those guys through there. They don't like to change mid-drive or anything like that, but I can see them getting gassed by that tempo and that, that could have an impact on you know uh, on guys like Chavis. You know, they brought that beef package in last week with Chavis and Windsor and the middle which is going to be tough for anybody to run against but yeah you got to i think you got to keep your rotations consistent get them off the field which is is football 101 you know you convert you don't let them convert on fourth third down you get them off the field and everybody's happy but yeah i think uh, i think that's a big deal if indiana is going to run i think it's going to be catching them off guard i don't think it's a straight handoff down the hill uh straight at the defensive tackles or anything like that but yeah they, they have the potential to catch them off guard and you mentioned the rotations it's a really important point because typically with any lineman the tackles are the ends penn state does not I'd like to have them on the field for more than five or six consecutive snaps as long as those are not interrupted by a timeout change of quarter or anything like that so typically if indiana has drives that start to go six seven eight nine plays and they're going at tempo penn state might have a problem because again when you're getting snaps off in 19 seconds you know every every play and then we saw against ohio state that was two plays every 12 or 13 seconds those linemen are still going to be on the field so that will wear them down quicker than you'd expect um but again they're going to rotate they're going to try to get those bodies in it's just a matter of forcing an incompletion getting that clock to stop somehow now a player who will not have to worry about that because we're flipping sides of the ball here juan johnson against fan this is my third matchup really intriguing to me because we heard so much about juan in the offseason all the work he put in first three games only seven catches and 12 targets of course he, he matched that against iowa and has re- really posed a threat and the outside which we heard about but Fant is physical he's sound he's aggressive and he might be the biggest test Johnson sees all season yeah it'll be a good matchup Fant is questionable for the game but we expect him to play and he's a very good player uh, Johnson started to break out last week uh, we'll see if he can build on that because if he can do that it can open up another layer for this offense um, you know we'll, we'll see if Penn State can go down the field and I think Johnson uh, when you talk about what he can do for this offense he can clear out a side of the field he's so big that you he 
warrants attention on one side of the field and it can open up, like I said before, a guy like Hamilton or something underneath or, or maybe even Brandon Polk to, to, to uh, pick up chunks of yardage over the middle. So I, I think you have to account for him. Um, you know, will we see a little bit more of Blacknell on the other side this week? He made a big catch last week. I don't know, but you're just going to have to account. I don't think Indiana's secondary as a whole has the depth to hang with him. And we saw that in the Ohio State game where they played with him for a while. And then, you know, once, once, they started spreading the ball around, moving around to Paris Campbell yep. uh, and things like that. They had trouble. All right. Oh, oh, fourth matchup, Tommy Stevens against Indiana. Tommy, a former <laughs> Hoosier commit, second bowl prediction is going to get a touchdown this week. Oh, sneaking that in at the last second. We'll go with this package again that, that seems to pop up at home games. And, yeah, whether it's a receiver, a runner, or, or a quarterback, I think he's going to uh, score against his, uh, his former committed team, I guess. All right. We'll see how that goes. Mailbag. Mailbag. Bunch of questions. We mentioned earlier, great questions this week. Uh, third of the way through the season, you have any changes in your projections of remaining games compared to what you thought in the preseason? Two games stand out to me. Yeah. And I think you know what they are. I think so. Northwestern's already made us look really stupid for predicting they're going to win the Super Bowl or whatever this summer. Um, every every Saturday is the Super Bowl. I'm so. intrigued by that game this week. Northwestern, Wisconsin, obviously the best game in the Big Ten this week. Um, will Northwestern be able to to sort of start clicking? They've been just completely out of sync in the, in a couple of games this season. So um, Northwestern is a game with, that looks a lot less scary. Granted, it's still on the road. It's still the 11 a.m. kick in Chicago. So it's going to be certainly a test, but I don't think it's anywhere near what we saw this summer coming into the, coming into the season. Second one, Nebraska. They are on the ropes and in trouble, and we're not out of September yet. That will be the last home game for Penn State this season in late November. And, you know, that's a game that will be the final home game for a lot of these seniors. We saw how they went out with the against Michigan State last year, albeit there was a division title on the line. But this is a team that's having issues on both sides of the ball. They might have a fired coach by the time we get there. And it's really just a team that if you're a fan of the Huskers, you are not looking forward to the rest of the season, barring you know a really quick turnaround. Yeah, they're favored by five and a half over Illinois this week. That's something because if Ugh. you watched any of that Illinois-South Florida game, Illinois is not good. And uh, yeah, but anyway, looking through the rest of the Big Ten, um, you know, I, I, Michigan State, a three-and-a-half-point favor over, uh, over Iowa. Will Iowa sort of fall flat after that effort last week? We'll see. Uh, Michigan State's certainly improved, but uh, and, and they could cause some problems for Penn State, but I don't think it changes my outlook uh, or my preseason outlook for them. So, yeah, Northwestern, Nebraska, the two biggest uh, changes of heart that we've had so far this year. Right. If we didn't offer game-by-game predictions because, you know, those are – as you just said, of Illinois, not very good, yeah. and kind of silly, specifically in a sport that's celebrated for its we unpredictability. Like to call that fluid, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we, <laughs> we keep ourselves, uh, you know, on the safer side, but it's it's a silly thing that we like, you know, some of our folks in media do before the season. We pass on that, uh, but in terms of overall feeling for those games, definitely changed. Northwestern, Nebraska look like easier kickoffs for uh, Penn State. Secondly, outside of Saquon Barkley, who ends up as the highest draft pick on this team uh, beyond twenty? 17 and in, uh, included. I guess that means beyond this year's draft, you know, could the 2019 draft and 2020 draft. Yeah, you got Marcus Allen and Mike Jasicki who are in this draft as well that can be, you know, borderline first round, second round guys. So we'll move on beyond them. We've talked about Juwan Johnson and, I, you know, it was mentioned to me, you know, by somebody I trust that he's a high level NFL kid. I mean, he's not just a, uh, you know, there, there are question marks about every receiver, no doubt, but this kid's got the total physical package. Once he puts it together in the field, I think he can be a, you know, a 
uh, an eventual first round pick, and and that's what they're thinking in in Lash wow. right now. So yeah, he's a good one because uh, he can run. I mean, he he's he's huge, but he can he can trot. I mean, he's he's a four four guy in high school. He's not going to run a four four at the combine, but you know, at that size, if you can go under four six, which I think he could possibly do, you got yourself a shot of moving in the first round and getting that money. So I think uh, Juwan Johnson's a guy, um, and I, and I'll defer to you for another guy. Well, so he's your pick? He's my pick, yeah. A lot of options here. I'm going to go with a player who's not on the field right now, and that's John Reed. I think he just brings the complete package. It'll depend, of course, a great deal on how he recovers um, from the knee injury that he suffered in the spring. It's keeping him out for the season. But I think when you see his flexibility, not only just on defense, where he's able to play outside and in the slot, you know, but returning punts and, and everything that we know he brings from a film study perspective and just knowing defenses and being able to read offenses, that has paid off already a year ago when he is midway through a sophomore year. Imagine what he can do when this is his profession. And I think provided, again, the physical comes around and he's still physically the player that he was, which I have every reason to believe he's going to max out his efforts in terms of rehab, then he's a guy who just offers you so much and is someone you don't have to worry about at all off the field. And I think, you know, in terms of being a lockdown corner as much as you could be at, you know, five, nine and a half, which I think he, he sits at, um, he, he shows you everything you would want to see. Yeah, and looking at this roster, this question was much different two, three years ago because you just didn't have the depth and talent level. You've got guys, you know, we have, well, they're all defensive linemen too. Yeah, there's a lot of defensive linemen, but there's also offensive linemen, which is something that's that's huge for me. I mean, Bates is a draft pick, Connor McGovern's a draft pick. We see some of those young guys that can potentially work their way into being, you know, fairly uh, highly thought of draft picks, is, which is where you look at, you know, in Ohio State or, or Michigan. A lot of their linemen they do get drafted. Penn State has not been on that level for a while, and they're moving in that direction. They're not there yet, but they're moving in that direction. And, and I think they'll, you know, in the next uh, two or three years, they'll get there. All right. Of the current 2018 commits, who is most likely to play as a true freshman? I look at the top of the class, uh, Justin Shorter as a guy, especially, you know, you're going to have to replace Black now. Um, Hamilton will be out, so there will be receiver reps to be had. Uh, Shorter is as talented as any receiver that's come into the program. Um, so if you look there and, and right, right behind him, Ricky Slade is a guy that's he's yep. electric. He's averaging like 20 yards a carry or something as a senior. Um, and he's also a guy that uh, is a lot, I think, a lot bigger. He, he looks slight, but he's a lot bigger than people think he is, 190, 195 can get up over 200 by the time he gets to Penn State and of course they're not going to have Barkley next year so that opportunity is there you've got guys you got Sanders who's obviously going to uh, you know move into a more prominent role Andre Robinson who's already got a solid role um, and then Journey Brown we'll see what he can do but uh, I think it's a position where people can play early I think Ricky Slade's going to play right away two names that come to mind for me PJ Mustafer I think just because of his size where he sits right now uh, defensive tackle spot is going to lose two starters in the Catherine and Catherine firm in the middle there. I think you, you've got a lot of depth you like right now. Ellison Jordan was a name I, I actually asked Parker Catherine about um, this week and said, what do you like from him? And he goes, he's going to be special. So, you know, you'll see players like Jordan kind of elevate. But in terms of that third string area, I think Mustafer might be able to make a splash. And then Pat Frymers, again, the tight end position is going to really drop off, at, you know, as we've seen with Mike Kosicki go to the pros. But he's a guy, not only just because he's, he's a big physical body that'll be ready for the next level, he's a year older because he had to, you know, change school 
schools, took a fifth year moving over to a prep. And I think that just physically puts him, you know, at a spot that's more advantageous to some of his classmates. He won't be able to do early enroll, but he will have the same training program and the playbook and really be able to invest. And his high school team this year adjusted their own offense to mirror what he's going to do at Penn State. So I think, you know, just to be heard from Sean Clifford, just as someone who's been ahead of the curve in practice and was, you know, for Clifford able to secure the third string quarterback spot, I think Firemuth could very well do that in the second or third string for the tight ends. Big surprise. You're going with the best available New Englander. Uh, Firemuth is a guy that I had written down here as, as a potential sleeper because he's already got the size. I mean, he's 6'4 plus. He's 250, 255 pounds. So he can come in and with the questions that they have at tight end after Mike Jasicki leaves, John Holland's there. Nick Bowers is there but has not played a snap. Yep. Danny Dalton has not played a snap. So there are certain questions there. He's not rated as highly as, as Zach Koontz, but he's his his floor is ready to go. I mean, he's 250 pounds. Koontz is 220 pounds, and and Koontz has a lot more room to fill out in terms of the six foot seven, six foot eight inch frame. So I, I like Fryermuth, and another guy that I throw in there as a sleeper, Charlie Catcher. He's just a heck of a football player. I mean, he's where have I heard that guys. before? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. He's just a heck of a football player. He can work his way onto the field through special teams. Obviously, linebackers point. a spot where you know they're, they're going to have some some work to do to to fill out that that two deep. So he's got an opportunity to do that. He's not as big as Nick Tarburton or Jesse Lukita, but he runs better. Um, I think he's a better football player than um, pretty much anybody in the state. So uh, I, I look at Charlie Catcher as a potential surprise in that 2018 class. Couple corners here. I'm not going to mention because we were each asked for one. <laughs> but I, you know, again, two seniors that are going to leave in, in Campbell and Grant Haley, and you're going to get John Reed back, and you've got the two freshmen right now, Lamont Wade and Tariq Castro Fields, which are going to figure in prominently to that rotation next year. But you know, again, when you're looking for spots of depth, and you've got some guys who might be able to enroll early, you know, a couple corners in here. Now that I'm scrolling down the list, might be able to make an impact uh, next year too. But again, we've taken up plenty of your time, so I'm going to not close it out. Actually, add a fourth question here. So I mentioned right at the outset, preparing for generations of greatness will you wear a fedora with me in the press box on saturday no i'm gonna wear my colorado hat like i always do <laughs> you know that <laughs> colorado hat in the penn state press generations box. generations of greatness 1990 national champions yeah okay so. that's really what people want to hear in the lines 24 7 penn state <laughs> podcast <laughs> all your latest buff news and recruiting buzz hey i'm going out there next week i can't wait all right. Well, I will bring a second fedora for you just in case you change your mind. And uh, thanks for joining us here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. Should be a fun weekend. Weather's great. You know, the game should be a good one. And as always, we'll check back with you on Monday. Uh, what up, y'all? Yeah. Soundtrack, what's poppin', baby? Woo!